Thank you, Cheryl. And now let's welcome Jean, who's going to come up and open these scriptures up for us today. Thank you, Jean. Thank you, Adele. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we pray that the story of people who lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago will speak to us today and that we will learn by David's good example. Amen. Well, as you've already, I'm sure, picked up this morning, our talk today is about the opposites of encouraging others and building them up or tearing them down. And as we've just read that verse from Proverbs, if you search for good in other people, you will find it. But if you search for evil, it will find you. The message interpretation says, the one who seeks good finds delight, but the student of evil becomes evil. Well, we're continuing the story of David and King Saul, who was God's anointed king. However, Saul's sinful ways meant that God was going to replace him with young David, the shepherd boy. And he had at this time already had a special blessing and anointing from the prophet Samuel upon him that he would one day be king of Israel. And after killing the Philistine, we saw up there, that was giant, the giant Goliath, David became the king's son-in-law. He became commander of armies and the nation's popular hero. He also developed a deep and lasting friendship with Jonathan, the king's son, who very quickly realized that David was going to be the one who would succeed his father as king, not him himself. But David's popularity among the people turned Saul against him. And he tried to kill David several times. The one we've just read is just one instance amongst many. And it dawned on me on that second reading how Saul actually broke his oath many times. And Jonathan warned David about his father's intention to kill him. So David fled. He made good his escape. Partly, at some of that time, he ran away and hid amongst the Philistines, and then they got a bit too suspicious of him and he pretended to be insane. Then he fled to a cave in West Judah. Then he came back to Moab. Then he went back to South Judah, crisscrossing the countryside, hiding in caves, and gathering a following of about 600 men, plus their women and children. But Saul was always hot on his heels, But David always managed to evade him, and he was a fugitive in the mountains for many years. Now, one popular story stands out from 1 Samuel chapter 24, where Saul is chasing David with his 600 men with 3,000 skilled soldiers. And he goes, and this is, I have to be a little bit indelicate here, but Saul goes into a cave to relieve himself. Little did he know that David and some of his men were hiding deep in the back of the cave. Saul was at David's mercy. His men want him to kill Saul. You can imagine them whispering, today's the day. Now you can get your vengeance on Saul. You can kill him. You can take the crown for yourself. So he creeps up silently. He gets out his knife. And instead of killing him, he cuts off a corner of his purple royal robe. 
And later David said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David did not permit his men to attack Saul. And as Saul leaves the cave and starts going down the hill, David crips out after him and stands in the doorway of the entrance to the cave and calls out to Saul, that he still respects him as the Lord's anointed. And why does he bring so many men to kill him when he is a loyal follower of Saul? And David says, there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. My hand shall not be against you. And Saul has the grace to reply, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And after swearing an oath that David would not kill Saul's descendants, and way down the line, David kept that, the two part company, and David continued his life as a fugitive. Just as an aside, this story is a lovely example of how doing right in the face of wrong can lead the wrongdoer to acknowledge what is right. Well, we can see from this story that David told everyone who would listen that God had chosen King Saul as his anointed king and that he, David, would not go against the Lord's anointed. So even though Saul was making David's life really hard, he'd had to leave his home, his wife, the palace, all the comforts that he'd known to live as a fugitive in the mountains, he still would not try and get back at him, and he still spoke well of him. More importantly, he didn't talk about him behind his back. When his supporters urged him to kill Saul, David made sure his followers instead respected him and would not allow them to kill him. In fact, the Bible tells us that afterwards this incident in the cave, he was absolutely conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his royal robe, for having defamed the signature of, of the king himself. Yet David also used his common sense, and he doesn't give Saul the chance to hurt him, but makes sure he removes himself from his presence and from possible danger and temptation. So time and time again, with the most horrendous provocation, David chooses again and again to think the best of Saul. He still treats him as a person who is chosen by God and loved by God. David doesn't worry about how he's going to try and get back at him or how he's going to get the crown that he's already been promised. Instead, David lets God sort these problems out. And then we read that King Saul and Jonathan, his son, were killed in battle. And so David is at last crowned king, but he did it God's way, not his way. So the $10 billion question for us this morning is, how did David do that? How did he manage not to get mad at Saul and retaliate by killing him? And how did he stop himself telling other people that Saul was a bad person? How did he manage to keep building Saul up instead of tearing him down verbally and physically? Well, I think David did three things. 
First of all, he made a choice. He chose only to speak good things about Saul. Now, the devil will try and do all he can to break up relationships with other people, especially amongst Christians. But the fact is, people mess up. We all mess up, one way and another. And sometimes when I mess up, it will affect other people and vice versa. But choosing to think the best of someone, making a positive choice, means I don't assume that they deliberately set out to hurt me when they messed up. Instead, we can try and understand what's happened and then make a decision about what to do. David chose only to speak good things about Saul, even when he found out he intended to kill him. Now, we can't control how someone else behaves, but we can control how we think about their behavior. And we can choose to obey the Lord's command when he told us to love others as we love ourselves. Of course, if someone hurts you repeatedly, either physically or verbally, you need to remove yourself from their presence. You need to keep yourself safe. But even with such provocation that David had, he didn't try and get back at Saul, but he left God to decide what would happen. He continued to speak the best of him and he wouldn't let others hurt him. So we will all be obeying God's call to love others as we love ourselves when we think the best about other people and we don't speak evil against them. To believe that they are capable of far more than we can see on the surface. And it may be that we have misunderstood where they were coming from. Or we may have received information that was incorrect or someone else has been adding fuel to the fire that we're not aware of. So thinking the best is about choosing not to judge a person. And it's about separating the actions or the verbal words that they have from the person themselves. Seeing beyond those outward expressions to who the person really is and how they can be by God's power and by God's grace. It's about reminding ourselves that they are loved by God just as much as we are. To know that they can be capable of great things because we are all made in God's image. And when we believe in others and think the best of them, we draw out God's best for them as well. 1 Thessalonians sums it up nicely. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So David made that positive decision. He chose to speak good things about Saul. Secondly, he didn't let any weeds grow in his heart. The Bible tells us that one of the descriptions of the devil is the father of all lies. He sows lies like weeds into our lives. And that's quite a startling thought that the devil could be using our disagreements and having a field day. And we are tempted to listen to the devil's lies that he sows when we stop loving someone else. And we stop treating them as we would treat ourselves. And we start treating them as someone who has hurt us. The devil has a field day when he sows his seeds of mistrust, lies and hatred. 
and gets us to start thinking the worst about others because he makes it seem acceptable to think badly of them or to say things about them that hurt or that may not be true. And then there's that added problem that when we start saying these things about others, it begins to affect our minds and we start being paranoid about others speaking badly about us. Paul has some pithy little verses in the New Testament about the devil. Ephesians 4 says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anger, foothold of the devil, linking together. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, He's writing to the church, there's been some disagreement there, but he says, if you've forgiven that person, I forgive them too, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So the lies the devil spreads and are like horrible weeds growing in our lives, and he tempts us and encourages us to think the worst of people. So what did David do when the devil tempted him and others encouraged him to hurt Saul and say bad things about him? Well, he did something we can all do. We're probably doing it already. He chatted to God about it. And we know he did this because he wrote many of his chats down with God in the Psalms. In these songs and poems, David told God exactly how he felt. He told what was happening. He told God how people were trying to hunt him down. In those difficult times, he poured out his heart to God in prayer and he told God everything, all his anguish and all his fears. And by doing so, and by being honest with God, he stopped those weeds of hate that the devil tried to sow from staying and growing even bigger in his heart. Now, I'm sure the gardeners among you are forever battling with weeds, which by definition are plants growing in the wrong place. But weeds, I looked this up, are ill-mannered thugs, something someone said. They compete with more sedate, well-mannered plants for water, light and nutrients. Some can reproduce quickly, they disperse widely, They succeed in disturbing ecosystems, and boy, do they resist eradication. Now, it may surprise you to learn that there's a woman by the name of Sarah Raven who keeps emailing Peter, my husband. She emails him two or three times a week, and she's even invited him to her house. My goodness me, but don't be worried. Sarah Raven is actually a gardener, a broadcaster, and a cook, and a television presenter who runs a garden and cookery school in Perch Hill in Brightling. Peter and I visited that in July with Sandra Graham, and we had a lovely walk around the gardens, we had a lovely lunch, and coffee, etc., etc., and then we looked through her lovely shop selling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of packets of seeds of plants and flowers and vegetables, But do you think we could find a packet of seed that sold weeds? No way. And if you go to Elm Court or if you go to Dobby's, you will not find any packets of weeds because none of us want to grow weeds in our gardens. We're trying to get rid of weeds. Nor do we really want weeds in our lives. 
So the first thing to do when we realize that the devil has planted seeds of lies and misinformation into our hearts is we need to follow the example of David and take it to the Lord in prayer. We're going to sing that old hymn in a little while, I think. Have we trials and temptations? Take it to the Lord in prayer. So we do not want the ill-mannered thugs of the devil's lies and the insidious thoughts that he spends creeping into the ground of our hearts. We need to eradicate his lies in order for us to love others, to think the best of them, to see them as God sees them, and to go even further by believing that they are capable of far more than we see on the surface because God has made them in his image just as much as he's made us. So David made a choice to speak good things about Saul and to build him up to his men. And then he went to the Lord in prayer about his difficulties. Third, after he chatted to to God, he let God come and take those weeds out of his heart. You see, by spending time with God, by chatting, by listening, David began to understand how God thought about Saul. And he caught God's love for Saul from that process of prayer and listening and those chats with the father. And he kept reminding himself that it was God's prerogative to judge, not his. Because Saul was God's anointed king until God brought the situation to an end. And his honest interaction with the Heavenly Father meant he was able to let God pull out those weeds in his heart until his heart was only full of love and respect and honour and obedience. In fact, the day he heard that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle, he wept and mourned and fasted for a whole day And in 2 Samuel chapter 1, he wrote a whole poem, a lament about Saul's death, including the words, O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul. That's how his heart was, so open and so still revering his ex-king. Now Jesus said in John chapter 15, my father is the gardener and he cuts away and he prunes the things that stop us being fruitful. Tearing other people down, especially verbally, does not lead to fruitful lives, either in ourselves or in other people. But building them up and encouraging them means there'll be lots of fruit, both in their lives and in ours. So by allowing our Heavenly Father to remove the weeds of the devil's lies, we will become fruitful Christians. We can stop judging others and speaking bad things about them and instead we can choose to think the best about them. And God will help us separate out the actions or words that hurt us so we can see beyond the person to whom God wants them to be. One way to do this is highlighted in a verse in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 5. Paul says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And this is the important bit. We take 
captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The devil tempts us with his lies, but we can choose to take it to God in prayer and we can choose to let God cut out these lies and thoughts from our hearts and minds. We can choose to take captive these thoughts and let God cut them from the root down. So David allowed the Heavenly Father to dig up the weeds. So from all those hundreds of years ago, what a wonderful encouragement David is to us this morning, that we can stop tearing each other down, however minutely we may do it, but instead encourage and build them up. And just as David did, we can do it by making a choice to speak only good about people and encourage and build them up. By coming to God in prayer so that we don't allow the devil's lies and weeds of bad thoughts and wrong talk to take root in our lives. And thirdly, to allow our Heavenly Father to prune and dig and cut out the weeds so that there is room for growth and fruitful lives, both in ourselves and others. If you search for good, you will find favour. But if you search for evil... It will fight you. Amen.